Well, again, good morning. If, uh, if you've been uh, with us, uh, you know that we've been going through a series in the book of Romans, <clears throat> and uh, we're going to actually uh, come to a pause on that today, so we're going to finish with Romans 4, and then we're going to take Palm Sunday and Holy Week uh, and Easter off from Romans, and then we'll come back to it after, uh, after Easter. And so just want to remind you, next week we are excited, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday, not here, but at Milroy Park, uh, just down the street, and so just make sure... Don't come here next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Go to Milroy Park, um, and we're going to join together and have our service there, and then we'll have lunch. We've got a burger joint truck, Yeti Sunshine, face painters, all kinds of stuff going on, uh, and it really is an opportunity for us to worship together, and then after that, we'll have an egg hunt and lunch, and it's a great opportunity to invite friends and neighbors, and so we'll say more about that at the end of the service, but also wanted to remind you that we'll have a Monday, Thursday service and Good Friday service uh, next week, followed by our Easter Sunday service. So hope you can join us. Uh, as we walk the way of the cross and then come together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. But again, this morning we're in Romans chapter 4. And so if you want to open a Bible uh, to that, Romans chapter 4. And uh, if you need a Bible, there should be a a black Bible in uh, the seat back near you. You can grab that. If you want to turn to page 941, that's where chapter 4 begins. And you'll want to have that open in front of you this morning. I'll just kind of be referring to it. Uh, Scott did a phenomenal job. It was a long passage, 25 verses, well done. Uh, and it's packed with a lot of great and encouraging um, news for us this morning. And so I just want to look together at chapter 4. And as you're turning there, just to uh, kind of give a, a little bit of a heads up of what is happening in chapter 4 as it relates to chapter 3, what you might think of chapter 4 is, is almost like a story version of chapter 3. So what Paul has done is he's explained that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, and that's how we're made right, or we have righteousness, the righteousness of God. And now he's going to tell a story about faith. And that story in chapter 4 is the story of Abraham. Uh, Abraham, the father of both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, And Paul's going to tell this story uh, to show us that faith, and only faith in God and his promises, can make us right with him. That's his message in this story, that faith and only faith in God and his promises can make us right with God. And we're told that that's what Abraham believed. In verse 3 of chapter 4, it says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so this story about Abraham, it's a story of faith. Uh, But even more than that, I would say it's a story about God and his faithfulness. So it's Abraham's faith, but really that even itself is meant to point us to God and his faithfulness. And so we're going to look at this story, and it really begins uh, back in Genesis 12, the story of Abraham. And it begins with an invitation from this faithful God to Abraham. And this is what he says to Abraham. He says, Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household To the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's how this story of Abraham begins God speaking, uh, speaking to Abraham, revealing himself, and expressing this desire to bless Abraham, right? Did you catch that? He wants to bless Abraham, but he also wants to bless the world through Abraham 
and his offspring and his descendants. And so the question is, well, how is he going to accomplish this? How does this, uh, this invitation get realized for Abraham? And then really, how does God accomplish this same uh, reality in our lives? Because God's calling us to the same thing, isn't he? He's calling us uh, into this invitation to follow him, to be blessed and to become a blessing for others. And so how does God accomplish this? Uh, and what the scripture says here is, this is literally what, what Paul says. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, God asked Abraham to believe. He asked us to believe. He asked Abraham to have faith. He asked us to have faith. What makes us righteous? Another way to say it. Faith. What brings us into right relationship with God, the God who made us and loves us? Faith. What rightly reorients our hearts right, to love him and obey him? It's faith. It's faith, it's faith, it's faith. That's Paul's message. So to receive this blessing, just like Abraham did, we need faith. And so that means we have to understand what faith is. We have to understand what faith is. And Paul is wanting to teach us about faith, again, through this story of Abraham. And I would say there, there's, there's one main point, and then there's a couple of things I want to get to at the end. But one main point that Paul is making here is this, is that faith must come first. Faith must come first. It matters. The order, in other words, here matters. And he's going to work that out here in chapter 4 for us. But when it comes to our response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, it all begins with faith. It begins with faith. Before we do anything else, we must believe. We must respond in faith. Now, that sounds easy enough, right? I mean, sometimes you even hear the word just thrown in there. Just believe, right? Just, just believe. Just have faith. Easy enough, except human history and our own lives, my life, tell me something else, that it's actually not easy at all. <laughs> it's not easy. Letting faith come first is actually really hard for us. It's really hard for us. We, as sinful, fallen human beings, are very uncomfortable in reality, with this idea that faith must come first. Uh, we want other steps, don't we? We want a, a checklist. God, God, tell me what to do, right? Tell me the things I have to do. Give me a little something more concrete than this kind of squishy faith idea, right? Uh, give me a steering wheel, right, to hold on to, like as I'm going through life. Something I can really get my head and my hands around, something that I can control, maybe, is the impulse there. But faith, faith must come first. And Paul says it has to come first. And then he shows three things that it has to come before. And I think these three things are, are not just uh, for Abraham, not just for Israel. Uh, they're paradigmatic. They're, they're true for all people, I think. That he's going to say there's three things that faith has to come before. And the first one is works. Faith must come before works. So look at verses 4 through 6. Paul says here, uh, that one of the things we'd prefer over faith first is works. We'd rather start with works, doing good things. Right? We like that because uh, here's what Paul says. He says the reason we like that is because if you work hard, what happens? You get paid, right? If you work hard, if you do the work, you earn something in return. And we like that. We like that idea. But Paul says that's not at all how we're made right with God. 
We need to chuck that idea if we're walking around with that. Paul says that God credits our bank account before we do any work, right? We get paid before we work. Um, and he justifies, he, this is how he says it. He says he justifies the ungodly and that our faith, not our work, our faith is counted, credited to our account as righteousness. And then he quotes Psalm 32, right? This, this uh, Psalm of King David in which he's highlighting the fact that God blesses the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. It's a, it's a psalm about forgiveness, unearned forgiveness and grace. And so it's apart from works. Now, that does not mean that works don't matter, right? That does not mean that works don't matter to God. It doesn't mean that faith is opposed to works. In fact, James if you look at the book of James in his letter, he will later say that faith without works is actually dead. And so there's a relationship between the two. But what Paul is emphasizing here and what matters to him most right here is the order. It's the order. Faith must come first before works. God, in other words, he doesn't say to you and me, show me that you're worthy and then I will bless you. He doesn't say that to Abraham, and he doesn't say that to us, and that's hard for us to accept. That's hard for a lot of us to accept. It's hard because in this life and the way we tend to relate with one another, we tend to get trained to think that we have to be worthy to be loved. Be worthy, and I love you. If I can just prove myself good enough, mom and dad will approve Right? If I can just work hard enough, then my coach will say I'm worthy to be on the team. If I can just make the grade or get into the right school or get the right job, it goes on and on and on. We've been trained to think this way. We do it here, right? And so what happens is we do it here. We don't even realize that we're doing it here. God, if I make myself worthy Will you bless me? And so I think, man, some of us would say, no way, I don't think that, I don't believe that, but functionally, that's how we live. It's a trap. It's an easy trap to fall into. But God says, look, I will bless you. This is what God says. He says, I will bless you, not because you're worthy. You're actually unworthy, but I love you. I will bless you. You're unworthy, but I love you. You know what, the, the, the testimony of, of, of God through the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same. God loves us because he loves us because he loves us, right? And so knowing that we're loved, we are set free then to do good works. Works flow out of faith is how this happens. So faith, again, must come first. So faith has to come before works. He also says it has to come before religion, he doesn't use the word religion. He points to a specific expression of this, circumcision. Um, in verses 9 through 12, Paul points to circumcision. Circumcision was the covenant sign for Israel. And Paul hammers down on this. We were at Bible study this past week, and someone read this first part of chapter 4, and the person who came after them said, before they read anything, I'm so glad I don't have to say the word circumcision. <laughs> because it's in there so much. Paul is hammering down on this Point about circumcision. Why? Circumcision was the covenant sign for Israel. 
right? So it was God had made promises, in other words, to Abraham that he was going to give him land and that he would bless him and the world through his descendants. And that was an incredible promise. That was an amazing promise for so many reasons, not the least of which we're told that Abraham and his wife Sarah had no children and they were too old. When they received this promise, they were 75, it says. They were in their 70s, all right? So I'm not going to ask somebody to raise your hand, but if you're 70, just imagine, right? And so they're in their 70s and God says, you're going to have children and you're going to have descendants, as many as the stars, as the sands on the seashore. That's what he, that's the promise, and so circumcision is the sign of that promise. And if you're, if you're wondering, I, I've wondered too, like, why, is, why circumcision, Lord? Like, why did that have to be the sign of the covenant, right? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever wondered that, but just think about, this, this, is, this is one way to think about it. Think about what it points to. What does circumcision points to? Remember, that it points to the promise. And what was the promise? The promise was for children. So in other words, circumcision becomes an ever-present sign within the very act that God will use to fulfill his promise. You see that? God, nothing's wasted with God. He, he knows exactly what he's doing. It's not coincidental. It's very intentional. But what happened is over time, the Jewish people began to see circumcision, this religious sign, and not faith as what made them right with God. We are the circumcised. Therefore, we are set apart. We are right with God. And so this sign of circumcision, Paul says, it is not, it is not the basis of what makes us right with God. He says, no. Verse 10, how then was righteousness, it counted to him. That's Abraham. Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. In other words, faith came first. Again, the order is so important. It was faith that was the sign of the promise. Circumcision is good. Signs are good. Sacraments are good. Worship is good. Bible studies are great. Quiet time, so important, but they don't make us worthy. They don't make us worthy. They don't make us right with God. What has to come first is faith and what God has done for us in his son Jesus. So faith comes first before works, before religion, and then finally obedience. Faith comes before obedience. In verses 13 through 15, Paul says that, um, well, he just shoots it straight, right? He just comes right to the point. He, he doesn't kind of work it around to it like he does on these other points. He just says, look, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Not law, yes to faith. So just important to realize, just in history, for one, Paul's making an obvious point because Abraham could not have been made right by, with God by the law because he didn't have the law. The law didn't come until Moses. So the law came later, hundreds of years later. And so clearly, Abraham's faith came before obedience. But even if he had had the law, Paul wants to make this clear. Even if he had had the law, faith still has to come first. Obedience to the law matters. The law is good. We need God's word, his instruction. Jesus said himself, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He held the law up. But the law, again, cannot make us right with God. The simple reason is that we can't actually keep it. We can't keep the law. 
That's why Paul says, for the law brings wrath. It, it, it brings forward our sin. It highlights that we can't keep the law, that we break it. We have, as Paul has already said in chapter 3, all fallen short of the righteousness, the glory of God. And so again, God said to Abraham, obey this law and I will love you. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, obey this law and I will love you. It's not conditional. I love you, now obey. Right? Again, order, faith comes first. He doesn't say that to Abraham. He doesn't say that to you and me. The good news is that God's invitation, God's invitation is not keep the Ten Commandments and we're good. Right? It's not try harder not to mess up anymore and I'll love you. The gospel is I love you, I bless you, now believe. Believe in my son, Jesus Christ. When we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, what he does is he puts his spirit within us. He puts his Holy Spirit within us. And you know what happens then? Is we actually are free and empowered to do what we could never do before. We can choose to obey the law. So order matters. Faith must come first before works, before religion, and obedience to the law. So I, I hope that's helpful. Maybe just taking some time to think through that. You know, think through the, the temptation that each of us face to, to think through works or religion or obedience first. Faith, faith comes first. Which is why Paul in verse 16 says this. That is why it depends on faith. Everything depends on faith. Everything depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to the offspring of Abraham and to us through Jesus Christ. So faith must come first. It's a simple first step, but it's not an easy one. It is not an easy one, and we need God's help to do it. And so quickly, I want to highlight two amazing things that Paul says about faith here at the end of chapter four. He says a lot, more than we can get to this morning. I want to highlight two things that he says about faith. And the first is this, faith in God is reasonable. Faith in God is reasonable. Paul says that the promises that were made to Abraham, they were made, he says, in the presence of the God in whom he believed. This God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Who you believe in, in other words, matters. It's not just faith. It's not just faith. It's faith in God that matters. This God who gives life to the dead. This God who calls things into being that were not. And so this is the God that Abraham believes, and this is the God that we are invited to believe in, to put our faith in. Like Abraham, we have good reason, in other words, to believe in this God. It's not a blind leap of faith. It is a reasoned, trusting faith in a true God, a living God, this God who brings life to the dead and calls things into being that are not. In our culture, <clears throat> excuse me, in our culture, uh, that's not how faith is kind of seen. Faith, if, if it's given anything, any credence, it's often seen as this kind of like motivational thing. Just again, a squishy motivational idea. We'll just have faith. A kind of greeting card faith, if you will. Uh, or it's just this kind of sweet, benign thing. 
Oh, and that, they have so much faith. That's so cute. Uh, and sometimes it's seen as even dangerous. Faith is a dangerous thing, right? Because faith, faith is opposed to reason, right? Faith and reason are diametrically opposed. Faith and science, right? Can't, they can't go together. They're opposed to each other. <clears throat> Bertrand Russell, the famous atheist, once said, man is a credulous animal. He, he wants to believe, right? He's a credulous animal and must believe something. And in the absence of good grounds for belief, he will be satisfied with bad ones. That's what he said. He's talking about us, right? Just believing and believing for believing's sake. But we don't believe for believing's sake. We believe in God. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for Paul, faith is firmly rooted in reason. Faith is believing or trusting. And the reasonableness of that faith depends on the reliability of the object of our faith, right? It's not about how much faith or the quality of my faith or anything. It's about what my faith is in that really matters. It's always reasonable to trust a trustworthy person. And there's no one more trustworthy in all the universe than God. God is the most trustworthy person, and Abraham knew that. He encountered a trustworthy God, and he knew he could trust him to keep his promises. And so that's the grounds. That's our grounds for faith, solid ground. We know the God who has revealed himself in the Bible. That's what we know. We know the God who calls uh, forth the dead and gives him life and calls into existence things that we're not. We've experienced that in our own lives through the person of Jesus Christ, the saving power of God through the cross and the resurrection. We have life. We know the presence of God who is in us by his spirit, transforming us, sanctifying us, making us more and more like Jesus. We know this God. And so that's our faith. That's the object of our faith. That's the reason for our faith. John Stott says, faith is a reasoning trust. Faith, I love that definition. Faith is a reasoning trust. Too often we feel an act. We feel and then we act, and then maybe we think, right? That's the way of our culture, and whether or not we realize that we are affected by it. In the church, we're affected by it. We, we feel something, and then we act on it, and then maybe we think about it. And what faith is inviting us to do is, is to actually feel, and then think, and then act out of faith. Because we know what's true, and we know the promises of God, and we live in light of them. And so faith is a reasoning trust. The Bible teaches us there can be no faith without thinking. Followers of Jesus should be people of faith and reason. Okay? So I think that's one takeaway, and I hope that encourages you, that faith in God is reasonable. The second thing is that faith brings hope when there is no hope. Faith brings hope when there is no hope. Verse 18, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. What a strange phrase. He believed against hope. He had hope against all hope. Abraham believed in a powerful and good God, a God who had the power to do what he had promised to do. When God promised him that his descendants would be as many as the stars, even though Sarah didn't have a single child and they were both old, he still became the father of many nations. God kept his promise, and he had the power to keep his promise. And Abraham remembered that throughout his whole life. There are difficult moments. There are other trials that he faced. 
And he remembered that. And he did not turn away. I think this is important. He didn't turn away from the realities of life. Uh, he didn't kind of step into this fantasy world of faith where everything's just going to be fine and I don't have to worry about it. Instead, this gift of faith enabled him to face the cold, hard facts of his life. That they were two dying people. And yet somehow God brought forth life. The fact that God had done this work of creation and resurrection called forth something from nothing because that's what God does. And that's the promise God made. And that's the kind of God that Abraham believed in. And so again, the point isn't Abraham's great faith. It's the great faithfulness of the God he believed in. The God he trusted with his life and with his future. His weak faith grew stronger as he trusted in the promises of God and saw them come to fruition. And you know who got the glory? God got the glory, is what it says. Paul says it was for the glory of God in Abraham's life. And so God made Abraham promises and it gave him hope. And God has made us promises. God has made us promise after promise in Jesus. He's made us promises in Christ. And behind all of God's promises lie his character and his power. He is trustworthy and he can keep his promises. And so our hope, when there seems to be no hope, is not in ourselves or our circumstances, but in a trustworthy God who keeps his promises. So maybe, maybe jot this down. I just want to encourage you with this. Faith always looks at the problems in light of God's promises. It's a completely different way of seeing life. Faith, Abraham teaches us that faith looks at the problems in light of God's promises. Maybe you are facing some big problems in your life this morning. Maybe you're facing something really hard. You feel hopeless. And I want to encourage you, remember what God has promised you in Christ. Cling to the promises of God. Write them down. Write them on your hand. Put them on your mirror. Put them on your car dash. Put them on the fridge. Put them on your lips. Memorize it. Say it to one another. Say the promises of God because they're true. And he's faithful. And he's powerful. And he'll keep his promises to us in Christ. The greatest promises God has ever made for us are in his son Jesus. Promises to forgive us, to rescue us, to redeem us, to transform us, to heal us, to make us whole, to live within us and to never leave us. These are the promises that God has made us in Jesus. And it's faith in God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who keeps his promises that will sustain us no matter what we're going through. That will give us hope against all hope. So, what have we said? We said faith comes first before works, religion, and obedience. And then we said that faith is reasonable. We have a sure foundation for what we believe in. We believe in the God of the universe who raises the dead and calls into being things that were not. And then we have a God who gives us hope. Hope through his promises in Jesus Christ. I, um, I want to I close with uh, an excerpt from The Silver Chair. Do you all know the book, The Silver Chair, by C.S. Lewis? Um, just as a, as a picture, another picture alongside this picture with Abraham of faith in Jesus and that it must come first. And I'm, I'm not going to bother to give you context for the story. I think you'll get it just by hearing this excerpt. So I'm just going to read this, and then we're going we're gonna to pray. The lion said to Jill... 
are you not thirsty? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at his smooth, motionless bulk, she realized she might as well have asked a whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was now driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to, not to do anything to me if I come to the water, said Jill. I make no promises, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls? She said, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. And the lion said, there is no other stream. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are the God who has sent your son, the Lion of Judah, to seek and save the lost, to bring living water to the thirsty. And Lord, you've demonstrated your love for us on the cross and by the resurrection and the invitation the same invitation that you gave Abraham. Believe. Have faith. And I will make you righteous. I will make you right with me. Have faith. Lord, I pray against any obstacles to faith in our lives. I pray against anything that would inhibit us from receiving all that you long to give us that you've promised us in Jesus. Lord, I pray that this morning, those of us who need hope would have hope against all hope because of our faith in your son, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, would you minister in our midst? Would you draw us to the one and only stream that we might drink deeply from its waters? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.